0: In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host,
1: Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Networks digital doers podcast. We are part of the oil and gas global network, which we refer to as OGGN. Um, And that is the largest network of oil and gas related uh, podcasts in the industry. And I think uh, late last year, it was, uh, they actually reached OGGN now reaches every country in the world, has listeners in every country in the world. So that was a big milestone There's about 20-ish different podcasts you can listen to at OGGN.com or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, But today, you're listening to the Digital Doers podcast. And the first thing I'd like to do is uh, say thank you for all of the folks who figured out all the buttons on their devices that they need to hit so they could join in and listen to us today. Um, We're going to be talking with someone today about a topic that... Um, is is uh, somewhat complex. It's very timely, very relevant. Um, and it could impact um, many of us um, if things don't go well or if uh, risks aren't managed well, then it could impact our lives and, and has impacted our lives uh, when, when, uh, when things aren't secure. So we're going to do that quickly. Uh, before I get started with that, though, I also want to say thank you to HPE. HPE is the sponsor of this podcast. And HPE, the folks at HPE, they have a team of very experienced, um, um, knowledgeable folks in the oil and gas industry. So uh, go over there and let them help you with any of your needs, and in particular, um, they're doing a lot of work um, with something that one of their newer platforms called GreenLake, their GreenLake platform, and it they say it's all about bringing the cloud and the cloud experience to you. Um, so wherever your um, data uh, your data lo- data centers are, wherever you're co-located, um, it's all about bringing that experience uh, just like you might get on a public uh, cloud. They can actually bring that to you, so it's, it's on-prem. So go take a look at hpe.com and, um, and see what you can learn there and how those folks can help you. So our guest today is um, Jim Gilson. And Jim is a technical leader um, for the Threat Operations Center um, the industrial sci- at the industrial cybersecurity company, Dragos. Um, and he focuses on operational technology and industrial control systems. He's been involved in a lot of the large-scale efforts at Dragos, including the developing a national cybersecurity standard, developing and conducting maturity assessments for data centers and working with a team to develop and refine the Dragos risk assessment methodology and a variety of architecture assessments. So Jim, I'm gonna let's talk a little bit about because you've got a very very rich and very deep, um, experience in, in this OTICS ICS space. Yep. Um, looks like you've worked for a couple of different companies and, and also been very involved in some of the industry organizations that set standards in this space. So tell me a little bit, um, about, uh, tell me a little bit about these industry organizations where you are involved in setting the standards, et cetera, in, for the OTICS space.
0: Sure. So I started my career at the uh, U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology um, in the engineering lab. And so um, I have a E degree, and I started working in robotics and everything like that, and moved over to uh, industrial networking around 2000. Um At that time, there were questions about whether industrial networking would work and how secure it was. Um, And there was an organization called um, ISA, the um, uh, International Society of Automation um, that was developing a committee to look into security for industrial automation and control systems. Um, This is, uh, it's called ISA 99. That was back in 2001, 2002 timeframe. Um, I joined the committee and started working on standardizing industrial control systems uh, at that point, um, cybersecurity for them. Um, Along the way, I've been involved in many other efforts. um, Some of the things uh, like the NIST SP-882 effort, um, the NIST cybersecurity framework, um, and then I left NIST and went to be a consultant, and along the way I've been continuing my work uh, with some of the standards. Um, and when I joined Dragos, um, one of the major projects that I was working on was actually helping a, um, a nation develop their cybersecurity standards. Uh, so it um, it was the kind of thing that uh, we were trying to uh, help them assist uh, their their constituents and their their companies within their their um, realm to standardize uh, cybersecurity, um, standardize risk assessment, and and a lot of these things. So,
1: and so I think most people probably understand that, but I don't think we can emphasize how important that is i mean you know this like you said back in in 2000 or around there there was still a question about really are we going to be able to connect all of these these you know sensors and Mm -hmm. all of this data gathering apparatus and um and there you know this is brand new stuff back at the turn of the century and so you stop and think about that for the really smart people that that are, this is their life and this is what they're focused on and they're still trying to struggle to see what the technical feasibility is. Yep. So you can start, you can understand if the companies that are starting to try to use some of this technology, they don't know what good is. Right. And so, you know, these standards, it's all about helping people and countries, as you say, um, you know, uh, know how... To um, manage this uh, this new uh, world, um, understanding risks and protecting against uh, you know breaches in the system, and um, so I, I really think you know, and and that's kind of sometimes thankless work. I think <laughs> to work on those standards, right?
0: It is. Most people do not know, do not want to know how the sausage is made. Um, yeah, it is. It, it can be a long, drawn-out process, um, but in the end, what we're trying to do is is help out as much as we can. Uh, nothing is going to be perfect. There's still a lot of work that a company has to do once they pick up a standard and try and use it. So, uh, especially cybersecurity standards, there's a lot to them to to take it and actually apply it directly to their company. Um, So it's not not a quick and sort of just checklist approach to say, okay, these are the things I have to do. Um, They need to actually look at their systems, understand the risks to their environment. So the risks for an ONG company are going to be different than the risks to a paper manufacturer. But the standards that are written have to cover all industries typically. So things like the the ISA standards, the the 62443 series of standards, the the NIST cybersecurity framework, 882, all of these kind of generic standards have to cover every single industry that's out there. Um, And so while we try and understand and take into account the impacts and the consequences it really requires a lot of tailoring to bring that into uh, an industrial organization and apply it directly to their environment.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. And from someone who's never been on the side that you've worked on, but has been on the other side trying Mm -hmm. to use it, you know, as I said, there's a real reliance on people that have a deep understanding um to you know to help people understand how do i know if i'm doing this well Mm -hmm. right what is goodness and um and so uh you know that that's a tremendous value uh to the folks that are actually trying to use this stuff um tell us a little bit about um jim what you what you do uh at george mason university
0: Um, So I'm actually, uh, in addition to my regular day job, I'm actually an adjunct professor uh, at uh, GMU, teaching a class on critical infrastructure protection. So I actually walk the students through some of the different uh, sectors that, um, since it's a a U.S. class, so we we walk through the U.S.-based critical infrastructure sectors, um, I, I introduced them to, um, all the different kind of aspects to it. Um, and then that's sort of the first half of the class. And then the second half is actually taking a look at, um, cyber threat intelligence and how, um, if they have to go and research, uh, some sort of, uh, threat to their environment, what do they... Uh, How can they actually look at the threat reports from Symantec or from Dragos or from from, uh, CISA and sort of assemble a picture to understand the threats of their environment? I'm not going to make them a threat hunter in a one semester class, but at least I can teach them if they had to go and research some advanced persistent threat group or... Uh, something else. They could take a look at the collected information and start trying to make uh, a picture of those uh, those groups and the potential threats to their organization.
1: Okay. It all sounds very intriguing. It sounds very <laughs> spy, kind of <laughs> like a, you know, digital spies or um, so. Mostly, these are IT type students that are, yes, in this class. Um,
0: I'm actually really happy about the GMU program that they they don't just focus strictly on IT. A lot of the classes, of course, are IT based, but there's actually a fundamental uh, curriculum built into the GMU program that talks about industrial control systems. Um, everything from when they start out with their their 101 class. There's a whole module on um, industrial control systems, and then my class on critical infrastructure protection is a core class. And they also have another de- course that's dedicated to just ICS security. So that'll they go through what PLCs are and how to actually secure them, and and look at Wireshark and look at the protocols, um, and do some labs on actually trying to affect uh, things. So. Um, and GMU is not the only one that does this. There are other universities, but um, it it allows students to understand that there are other things out there. Um, And the people that I know in the IT industry are starting to run into these things as they're doing assessments as well. So you'll get a normal pen tester that comes into an organization and nowadays things like the building control systems are hooked in. So they may be running a pen test on the servers in this organization, but they're seeing things like BACnet or Modbus in the network um, because they've got interconnections into the building management system. So it's you're no longer ending up with totally isolated systems nowadays, uh, and so, Understanding the 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 intertwining and um, how these systems interact uh, is is important as companies start to uh, integrate their systems more fully.
1: Right, and so it's the complexity is just exploding. It sounds like
0: absolutely, and then you add in things like cloud integration and. Uh, Internet of Things uh, uh, or industrial Internet of Things and it gets even more complicated.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's... So I I think most people know, but but why don't you tell us a little bit. You talk about this critical infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Describe that just a little bit. I realize it's got lots and lots of arms and legs, but like I said, the critical infrastructure, You know, not just for a company, Mm -hmm. but we have a critical infrastructure for our country, which provides us with many of the things that we need to live our lives that we've become accustomed to. So say a little bit about what's, what's included in a critical infrastructure, Jim.
0: Yeah, so um, the way it's sort of typically defined is things that would affect the day-to-day lives of people uh in in the country. Um, and so there are asked, some of the critical infrastructure are, th- are things like financial or health and human services, um, or uh, building uh, building commercial buildings or government buildings, defense industrial base. Um, so there's things like that. Uh, but then there's also a lot of more industrial, Portions as well, um, industrial sectors. So things like energy. Uh, and your listeners are are here for oil and gas, and, and energy covers the oil and gas industry as well as things like electric power. Um, and, and then there's others like water and wastewater and uh, nuclear sector and chemical sector. So there's a lot of these different things. And and while it may seem like those are disconnected from people if they don't have the chemical industry producing um, the raw chemicals that go into some of the other pieces that they are actually using. Um, that's where you can see a lot of, um, uh, there's impact on things like the, the financial uh, aspects of companies within the, or, uh, within the country that are large scale. So your large scale oil and gas companies employ a, a large number of people within the country. Uh, and so if they had problems or if they had difficulties or, or suffered, um, from financial or, or cyber attacks, it would cause problems for a large number of employees, which would affect the overall, um, country itself so
1: yeah yet the supply chains have become complex as well haven't they and um and so even it seems like to me that even if a a breach in a system that um perhaps physically uh creates a blockage a barrier an obstacle for the physical Uh, delivery of a product or service Mm -hmm. that we are all used to having, even if that doesn't happen, there could be implications um, other places. So, for example, I think a couple of years ago, or I think it's just been a couple of years, uh, there was a, 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 I think it was a cybersecurity incident, let's call Mm -hmm. it. I don't know exactly what happened, but... um, that affected a major pipeline mm-hmm. that provided um, oil and gas um, and uh, and a refined product too. Perhaps I can't remember which it was, but re- impacted that and and um, uh, that was uh, inoperable um, for a few days or maybe a couple of weeks. And uh, you know, maybe perhaps we thought none of us did without um, the product itself, but at least what we were told is, and what we experienced was an increase in price and that product for a period of time.
0: Yep. Yeah. A major pipeline was hit by a ransomware attack. It didn't affect the operational technology systems directly. So it wasn't affecting the controllers on the pipeline or anything like that. But what happened was it affected their IT systems and they did not fully understand the implications of losing those IT systems from the OT environment. Um, they did not. They didn't go through and do that risk, that business impact analysis, the the risk analysis, the risk assessment to understand what would happen to their OT systems if they lost their IT systems. Um, they were only down for a few days but as you said it actually had major effect because of reputation and fear that um, that there would be problems in the long run um, I mean they still had uh, fuel at terminals uh, along the pipeline they still had um, they still had reserves in in things. So there wasn't any fear of actually like losing um, fuel or whatever in reality. it turned into a panic buying uh, and a fear kind of thing where that affected the overall country
1: so yep. yeah, interesting. and so uh say a little bit more about r i t and ot um, cyber security threats different? Um, how about the consequences um, of of uh, like a, a successful breach on either one of those? And just to be sure, I think everyone knows, but IT is information technology, if I mm-hmm. correct me yes. if I get this yeah. wrong, and OT is operational technology. Yeah,
0: um, And, and okay. there's some, there's still some um Questions about what officially counts as OT, uh, as operational technology. There are some people that that uh, uh, classify it one way, and there's there's some some questions about what the definition of that is right now. The way that I typically talk about it is um, OT is the is everything that you need to run your production, whatever you're producing, whether it's power. Uh, oil, uh, some chemical, diapers, whatever—it's everything you need to run that. So it's not just the industrial control systems itself. It's not just the the controllers and and things like that that are actually producing the product. It's all of the other systems that go along with that. Things like your building management system, your badging systems, your power management, all that kind of thing that that you need to actually run. Those uh, those organizations, uh, or that that production, um, and one thing that organizations are starting to do now, or have been doing for a while, but really starting to understand the implications is that interconnection between IT and OT, um, interconnections between the business systems. What what kind of communications are going across that IT OT boundary that they have to have, um, and Typically, when we talk about the uh, the impacts to IT systems um, from a cybersecurity event, it's things like um, computer systems that have to be reloaded. So there may be some financial aspect to the time necessary to to rebuild systems, or it may be. Um, a reputation thing. If there's a data breach and something's uh, released, or it may be some sort of uh, um, data loss prevention kind of thing. So it's, but it's all about data typically. When you get into talking about OT um, risks, um, most pe- most uh, industrial organizations understand it from a physical side. So they may have a risk matrix that talks about the impacts related to health, safety, environment, uh, production loss, um, financial uh, payments that they have to do uh, in terms of like insurance or, or uh, equipment damage or things like that. Um, so there's a lot of uh, differences between how companies have to look at their risks, but there's there's questions within the OT environment of how does cybersecurity factor into that? And so um, typically when people talk about cybersecurity threats or cybersecurity incidents, it's, oh, there's this new vulnerability that came out or that was announced by vendor such and such or CISA released this um, or the FBI showed up on our door because they discovered that we had some something beaconing out to a foreign country or something like that. Um, and there's no sort of relationship between those vulnerabilities and things that could go wrong in the cyber world and what the organizations already have in terms of their impact ratings or their criticality ratings, typically that they've looked at from their production side. Uh, And so one of the things that that we're seeing a lot of companies starting to do now is work through, okay, how do I marry those two ideas? Um, And it's not a simple process. Uh, It usually involves developing some sort of scenarios. Okay, we, we're gonna run through a scenario for uh, a ransomware incident in our IT environment. And then they have to start looking at, okay, what effect does that have on our systems and how can that lead to um, production sort of impacts or health and safety impacts within our environment? Um, or what happens if we have a loss of view in our uh, in our uh, um, control center or our HMIs, um, human machine interfaces. What happens if we have a loss of view there? How does that affect our ability to maintain our production? Um, and so that they're starting to to look at those sort of scenario based things. You can't you can't go through every single scenario, but at least if you start to think through. Um, a few scenarios, you can start to then relate the, the potential typical cybersecurity vulnerabilities and things to uh, um, OT actual business impacts.
1: And so if I understand correctly, the discussion you just had was around understanding if you have an IT issue, breach of some kind and how thinking through and going through some scenario playing to see how that potentially ends up impacting more than just data, it could potentially impact um, the actual physical production uh, that that you're involved in. And I assume it's the other way as well. What if you have an OT type breach? Um, Can that get back to the IT side?
0: Of course, yeah, I, and while I, while the examples I was giving were sort of IT-ish, ransomware or loss of view, things like that, it doesn't matter where they start, whether it starts on the IT side and sort of uh, migrates into the OT network, uh, maybe it starts on the OT side from a vendor that walked in with an infected USB that they were going to use to upgrade the system. Uh, it really doesn't matter where things start. Um, but, and, and these are parts of the scenarios that you can actually take a look at. So you can say, okay, imagine the situation where you have a vendor that walks in with an infected machine, um, and they plug into your network. How can that infection spread through the network? What, what do you absolutely need within your environment to maintain your production? Can you start to pull plugs to prevent ransomware from spreading or malware from spreading? Can you start to isolate systems? What's the minimum set that you need to maintain operations? Um, And that goes back to some of the planning that most uh, organizations already do for things like incident response and disaster recovery and business continuity. So they're already doing these typically for physical scenarios, but now they need to start incorporating those cybersecurity scenarios. Um, And so this is all this sort of scenario-based development that companies can do, and they can reuse different pieces as they start looking at the risks, as they start looking at um, how different incidents could migrate through their network, um, and then... uh, how that would affect their overall uh, ability to maintain operations.
1: Okay, so then the, the, the question I guess it is for me is when when Dragos is helping uh, companies or let's say entities because maybe it's mm-hmm. not a company. Um, it, typically, do are they coming to you saying, "Come and help us understand the threats"? Threats and do risk assessments and maybe do some scenario planning. Is that where most people come to you, or is it? Do they not have an appreciation for that until they actually experience an, a negative, the impact or a, a negative incident, and then they come and say, "Oh gosh, help us out." Or maybe it's a little of both.
0: It's a little of both. Um, and a lot of times it's not it may not be an actual incident that they've suffered that that has caused them to come to us. It may be an audit they've gone through, uh, and then they've received some um, some less than acceptable findings or something like that. Uh, and and they come to us because they they don't know how to deal with uh, responding to those um, those findings. Uh, we've had companies come to us that um, they, they come to us and they actually say, um, we, we need a pen test or something like that. And, and then we talk to them a little bit as we're going through and developing the statement of work and we find out, well, they really actually need us to help them develop a strategy for how to actually do that. They're not ready for a pen test yet. But maybe they need an architecture review or maybe they need this sort of risk analysis first um, to even understand what they've got they heard um, they heard from other people that or, or from other companies that they did this pen test and, and had all these great results but and so they come to us and they, they know the term pen test but don't really understand the, the implications of that um, we're getting Less of that now. Companies tend to be a little bit more understanding, um, but we do still end up with a lot of organizations that don't know where to start, uh, and so the our risk assessment sort of practices and um, are actually an early on process to help organizations develop uh, an idea of how to actually go through and and uh, proceed with improving their cybersecurity posture um, will often include things like a maturity assessment to understand okay what do you have within your organization where is what is your as is state for your cybersecurity maturity um, meaning uh, how well are your people trained on what they're supposed to do how well are your systems documented how um, How well do you have uh, processes in place to respond to an incident? Um, And this is more of an interview-based conversation with the organization. And from that, they can start to plan out, okay, well, if we needed to try and improve things uh, and get the most out of our limited dollars for cybersecurity, what, what areas can we focus on? And then we might come back and help them develop a more robust and defensible architecture for their network. Um, or we may do more of an in-depth analysis uh, an assessment on a particular system that they have. Um, and one of the things that we do usually as part of these is what's called a crown jewel analysis. Um, Organizations don't always understand what the critical systems are that they have. Uh, And so we will often help them develop this idea of of criticality for their systems to identify if they needed to protect the things that are the most critical in their environment, here's the places to start. Uh, And so we call them typically crown jewels and that helps organizations sort of prioritize not just the the procedural things and policies that they need to do, but also the technical aspects of what can they uh, where can they start to apply some critical cybersecurity controls um, and technical measures within their environment too.
1: Yeah. Um, I, in our previous, by the way, I love that name, mm-hmm. right? Crown Jewel Analysis. I, I, but I, I believe in one of our. We had a, a couple of. Uh, conversations before uh, this recording, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really interesting that sometimes in doing this crown jewel analysis with with uh, people, uh, maybe you even help them find and discover some um, their what's most important that might not be even heavily it. Is that? Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. We had a, a funny one that we had was a kosher slaughterhouse, um, and uh, the situation that we ended up finding was that um, the phone line that connected the slaughterhouse to the rabbi—they uh, didn't have a rabbi literally sitting there uh, uh, praying over the animals as they're slaughtered. Uh, they had a phone line um, to a, a series of rabbis so that they could keep going on a regular basis. Well, it turns out that phone line was absolutely critical to their operations. If they lost that phone line, they had to stop all production because one of the things with kosher uh, um, animal slaughtering is they they require that prayer. It's It's part of the process that they go through. And without that phone line, the entire production line had to stop until they could reestablish that phone line. So they needed to make sure that they protected that phone line and had multiple uh, uh, phone paths to the series of rabbis that they had. Um, they only had one phone line in place and so they needed to make sure that they had multiple paths uh, as as they were doing that assessment.
1: Yeah, I think that, that's great. So I assume you probably also come across instances where it, it is a little more um, um, digital, IT, but I thought that was a great one just to say uh, probably lots of benefit from doing a crown jewel analysis to do more than just help you understand your uh, technical, your technology. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Jim, I um, greatly appreciate you being here today, and this has been a really thoughtful conversation. Um, about, you know, how um, vulnerable we are and uh, all of the threats. We, you know, we hear on the news, right, all the time. or on the news or from friends and social media um, about um, all of the opportunities that exist to really kind of ruin our lives, even if it's in the short term, you know, to make our lives very difficult. Um, As a result of not, I guess... uh, being responsible and protecting um, all of these technological systems that we've come to depend on and make our lives so easy.
0: Come back next week for another venture into the world of the best digital um, tours in the oil and gas industry. um, A production of the the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.
1: And, um, Again, thank you to HPE. Thank you to all of you that are listening today. And until next time, so long.